0: that you just bless this time in the study of your word. That, Lord, as we look at Leviticus once again, that you would speak to our hearts. And, Lord, that we would be ones that we would desire to just draw close to you and pursue holiness in our lives, just as the priests were encouraged and instructed to do. So, Lord, may we be attentive right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In chapter 22, Leviticus, we read, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name. By what they dedicated to me, I am the Lord. And say to them, verse 3 Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Now, as you've been with us in our journey of Leviticus, to remind you quickly that the whole theme of Leviticus, again, is holiness. And as we saw in the book of Exodus, traveling. Through that book, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, it's a new nation. It's, It's a nation that God is wanting to do a marvelous work through and to be a testimony to the other nations of his goodness and his faithfulness. So he brings them out into the wilderness. He promises them he's going to give them the the land that he has for them and a land flowing with milk and honey. And so as they're out in the wilderness, of course, in Exodus, Moses is instructed to build the tabernacle and all the furnishings and the priestly garments. And that was all finished as we ended the book of Exodus. The book of Leviticus is now instructing the priests how it is that they are to uh, do the sacrifices. And the sacrifices, of course, was the way that the people in the Old Testament time approached God they would bring the sin sacrifice the sin of the uh the sacrifice that is of the animal trespass offering they had the grain offering the uh, um free will offering of thanksgiving they had the burn offering that was a offering of worship giving my all to the Lord that we've looked at very carefully as we've gone through Leviticus we saw the preparation of the priest and then the presentation of the priest for ministry And so the major theme is holiness unto the Lord. You as priests, you direct the sentence of Aaron, are separated to do ministry for the Lord and to minister before me. And one of the keys that the Lord keeps reminding them of is that they are to be holy, for I am holy, as we saw in chapter 19 of Leviticus. Now the application that we can make, because we're not under the law in, in offering sacrifices and all the things that are prescribed here, but in the New Testament, of course, in Revelation chapter 5, we are called a kingdom of priests. It is Peter in his first epistle in chapter 1 says that we are to be holy because he is holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. He's borrowing those verses from Leviticus chapter 19, but then he goes on and he tells us that we're a royal priesthood. So you and I, being New Testament priests, are reminded in the New Testament that we are to live in holiness, that we are not to pursue uncleanness, but we are to live in a way that pleases the Lord. And so further instruction here is given to the priests how they can be ceremonially pure, how they can be dedicated and separated unto Him to where they're not defiled. And so uh, we as Christians, of course, the application that we make is that we want to draw close to God with a clean heart, don't we? And it's a real key for us if you desire to To serve the Lord as you walk with the Lord. The key is your dedication and your closeness to the Lord. On Monday night I had to go up and do a retreat up in Estes Park for the staff at Rocky Mountain Calvary. It's a large Calvary in Colorado Springs. They have several thousand members there at the church. And so I went up to address the staff and to teach them. Pastor Eric, the senior pastor, asked me to come up and do that. There's about 40 people and that's their their staff uh, that was up there on the retreat. He wanted to talk me to talk to them about ministry and one of the things that i always seem to be drawn to as i pray about how it is that i should share with people or what it is that i should share with them about ministry and and um and serving the lord is i seem to always go back to paul's letter to timothy his letters in first timothy and second timothy and of course the other pastoral epistle is titus and i love those letters because paul is encouraging timothy in his ministry and he has so many wonderful things to say that I think that are important for you and for me, again, as we desire to minister unto the Lord, as we desire to walk close with the Lord. And so Paul, can you imagine being Timothy? I mean, Paul meets him on his second missionary journey. He sees Timothy, has got some potential, and he says, Timothy, why don't you come join us? He has them circumcised, and then they end up going to Philippi, and then they go to Thessalonica, they go to Berea, they go to Athens, Paul did, to Athens, And he left Timothy behind in Thessalonica where they were being persecuted. And then he went into Corinth. And, of course, as Paul went into Corinth, as that would end the second missionary journey there in the book of Acts, we see that Paul says, when I came to you, I came in much weakness and fear and trembling. In other words, he was one tired and beat-up missionary still bearing the bruises and the cuts that he endured up in philippi when he was beaten with rods and then thrown in prison so timothy welcome to ministry as he walked with paul and just seeing all the affliction and persecution and paul would write about that to timothy you know how i was persecuted and the afflictions that i've gone through and then paul would leave timothy in in ephesus the, the pastor of the church of ephesus and And I've said this to you before, the church of Ephesus kind of fascinates me because Paul, in his third missionary journey, uh, when he went to the city of Ephesus, he was there for three years according to Acts chapter 20. And there he gave them the whole counsel of God's word. The, The church exploded, turned the city upside down. But Paul, when he was addressing the Ephesian elders after he had left Ephesus and later on was on his way to Jerusalem, he stopped to address the Ephesian elders and he would say to them that the time's going to come when savage wolves are going to be raised up and they're going to try uh, to draw away disciples after themselves. They're going to speak perverse things. And so Timothy would be left in Ephesus to deal with what Paul was talking about. And Timothy, I know you wanted to go with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1 to Macedonia, but I urge you to stay here in Ephesus to pastor the church. And so Timothy, he was one that Paul just continued to encourage, continued to encourage. That Timothy, that you take heed to yourself. In other words, you take care of yourself spiritually. And then you can minister to the flock. That you continue in the Holy Scriptures to grow in the Scriptures. That has made you wise for salvation. All these things that Paul instructs Timothy to do. But there's an overriding you know theme that Paul says in being a man of the Word of God, being a man that has a heart towards God. You being an example, Timothy, to the believers. And don't let anybody despise your youth. But you keep on, Timothy, and stay close to the Lord and take care of yourself spiritually. And the key for you and for me, if we want to really be successful in God's eyes and in God's economy, and according to His kingdom and His ways, in ministry and, and serving the Lord, it all should flow out of your closeness to the Lord, shouldn't it? And if you want to stay committed to serving the Lord, it has to be because you're staying close to the Lord that you're taking care of yourself spiritually, that you're walking with the Lord closely, that you're not allowing uh, those things that will come into your heart and into your mind that will defile and pollute you. And so here we see that same principle being told to the priest here, don't let anything come in. That's going to defile you or pollute your mind, and you're to come to me with a clean heart. You're to be ceremonial clean, and you and I, we're to come to the Lord with a clean heart as we desire to serve Him and walk uh, in a way that is pleasing to Him. But verse 4 Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has had an emission of semen, or whoever touches any creepy thing by which He would be made unclean, or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be. Verse 6, A person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean till evening. He shall not eat the holy offering, lest he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat the holy offerings, because it is his food. And whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat. To defile himself with it, I am the Lord." And they shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby. If they profane it, I, the Lord, sanctify them. And so here he explains the Lord some of the things that might defile a priest. And a violation of these things would not keep them from being a priest, but it would prevent him from ministry until he could be ceremonially declared to be clean, and that would be at evening. Their day would start at evening, from evening to evening. That would be the Hebrew day or the Jewish day. And the thing is, is if I am taking in those things that cause my heart to be corrupt or defile my heart, then it's going to have an effect in the ministry that I have as I minister for the Lord, as I minister to others. You see, if you're taking in those things that that cause carnality, taking in those things that, that cause you to to walk in and look at sin or whatever it might be, you're not going to be able to minister to others. And so here he's saying that you're still a priest. Uh, You're still a member of the priesthood, but the thing is you're unclean until evening. The thing for you and for me is that none of us that are in this room were to the point where we're sinless. We should, as we continue walking with the Lord, sinless, right? But we're not sinless. And his mercies are new every single day. And I know that in those times where we know that we are uh, got an attitude that's wrong or we're taking in things that aren't right or whatever it might be, that we can confess it and be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ once again. And his mercies are new where he desires to use us and continue on and say, you know what, repent from that thing and move forward in, the, in pleasing me and staying close to me. And then you can be used effectively for the Lord. And so verse 10, No outsider shall eat of the holy offerings. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it, and one who's born in his house may eat his food. Uh, if the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house in her youth, she may eat of her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. Verse 14, If a man eats of the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. They shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. And so only the priest's household could eat of the offerings. The wonderful thing for you and for me, and again, you remember in the sacrifices that the priests were provided for and the offerings that were given. You and I as priests, it's a marvelous and wonderful privilege that we have that we can take in of the things of God, right? To take in the Word of God. We have God in the person of the Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts. And to be able to take in those things that are pure and right and just and and noble and true. You see, we get to take those things in. No longer do we have to just take in the things of the world, those things that corrupt or those things that defile or those things... That will cause despair or lead us astray. But we can take in the wisdom of God and the truth of God. We can have the strength of God as we're walking in those things. We get to partake of the things of God daily. And I pray that we would. It would be Jesus that would say, come drink of me and and you'll be satisfied. If you eat of me as you hunger then you'll never hunger again. That is, you're going to be satisfied spiritually because I'm the one that brings satisfaction to your soul. He would say that if you eat of me and drink of me, that you'll never hunger or thirst again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We get to partake of the things of God, stay close to the Lord. Our personal relationship with Him is what's going to keep us strong and a marvelous privilege that we get to every single day of our lives. It's just continuing that intimacy and closeness with the Lord and taking into the things of God. And so in chapter or verse 17 of chapter 22, as we continue on, we're going to see that he's going to talk about the offerings accepted and, and the offerings that were not accepted and pleasing to the Lord. In verse 17, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows, or for any of his free will offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering. You shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. Verse twenty one And whoever offers a sacrifice is a peace offering to the Lord, to fulfill his vow a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be per- perfect to, to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed have an ulcer or uh, eczema or scabs. You shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb, as any lamb too long or too short, or you may offer a free will offering, but for a valley shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and their defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 27, When a bull or sheep or goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Whether it is a cow or you, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And so we see here, um, again, if there's any defects in the animals that you're offering, in the sacrifices that you're giving unto the Lord, it is to be without blemish. It is to be perfect, to be acceptable before me. The Lord wanted them to give the very best of their animals. And if there's any defect of any sort, if there's a limb that's crushed or there's you know, scabs or whatever um, defect that it might be, it will not be acceptable to the Lord. Now, one of the things that was taking place after the Babylonian captivity is you read the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament malachi was speaking the words of the lord rebuking the people because they were bringing their leftover animals for sacrifices full of defects and stuff and so they got rebuked for doing that and and malachi was saying it's not pleasing to the lord the lord desires for you to bring the prescribed offering that has been given to you and so again that offering uh, that which an animal that is to be without spot or blemish The thing for you and for me to remember as we apply this in our own lives is that God gave us the very best. Didn't He? He gave us His perfect Son. The one thing in His fallen creation, the only thing that was ever perfect ever since Adam and Eve fell, is Jesus Christ when He walked on this earth. The perfect Lamb of God without spot or blemish. The one who would become the acceptable sacrifice on behalf of you and me. God gave him willingly, the Father. Jesus came willingly, laid down his life. As Jesus would say, no one lays, you know, I lay down my life on my own and I will raise it up again. He gave himself freely. The Father given the very best. And as I think about that, the reason that we're here, that we can have a living hope that dwells in our hearts and we can worship and study God's Word as truth and and just be encouraged and drawn close to the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And why wouldn't we want to give Him our very best? Why do we want to give Him the defects or the leftovers or whatever of our lives, of our hearts, of our time, of our talents? And I know in my own life, Lord, I want to give you the very best that I have. And I understand that it isn't a fleshly kind of thing where I'm going to go out and prove to you, God, how good I am and how worthy I can be and what I can do for you. We understand, don't we, that without the Holy Spirit working in our lives, without abiding in Jesus, Jesus said you can do nothing. We know it's not by might nor by power but by my spirits, says the Lord of hosts. So there is, yes, that humility and dependency upon the Lord, certainly. But it, that mindset should be, that, that heart should be in us, that, Lord, I don't want to just give you the defects or the blemishes or just the leftovers of my life, of my heart, of my time, my energy, my resources. I want to give you the very best because you gave me the very best, your only son, improving your love for me. And Lord, I want to give you the very best. And Lord, help me, because it is you that I know works in me both the will and to do of your good pleasure. And I know that I can have confidence that you'll finish that work that you've begun in me. But a heart that comes to the Lord and says, Lord, here I am. And I want to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and give you the very best that I have to give. That's a heart that God that honors and he blesses and he uses Again, in a wonderful and in, in a powerful way. So we see here that it's not accepted, these, these blemishes in verse 29. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. And on the same day it shall be eaten. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. And so we see here that um, a sacrifice of thanksgiving was a free will offering, a peace offering, as we have seen, was to be eaten on the same day. And here's the thing about the peace offering, that free will offering. It was an offering showing that they had peace with God, fellowship with God. As you eat, was in this culture, in the ancient world, it was symbolized and still is today in in many cultures. Um, You know, even when we have somebody over, when we have them for dinner, why do we have them over for dinner? So we can fellowship with them, right? You know, maybe some of the guys will come and and um, say, hey, let's go out for lunch. It's because the neat part is we get to go out and lunch and eat, but even better than that is we get to fellowship. I mean, we get to fellowship, and we get to share our hearts, and we get to encourage one another in the Lord. That's the neat part about it. And so that offering, you know, was given a free will. Their fellowship with the Lord, it was also an offering of thanksgiving. I think that as Christians... That is very important and it's biblical and it's a commandment that we're to be thankful, to have hearts of gratitude. Now that's easy for me to say when I come back from Africa and I saw all the suffering that was going on and all they lack and everything. I come back and I'm very thankful. And, and sometimes I think, you know, the things that I would get so worked up over and stuff, that really didn't matter. But underneath it all, each and every day, whether we're going through difficult times, and we all do, whether we lack and whatever that it is that some of us perhaps going through hard times financially, whatever it might be, but to ha- underneath it all to have a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, that I belong to you and I'm saved and forgiven and I get to take in the things of God every day and draw close to you and have that joy that is in our hearts and, and Lord, I want to keep that closeness and that fellowship with you. I don't want to to get stale but Lord to keep it fresh and renewed and I do that day by day as I come to you as I talk with you and as I read your word and so they were to keep it fresh in verse 31 therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them I am the Lord you shall not profane my holy name but I will be hallowed or in other words that what he is saying here is I shall be treated as holy among the children of Israel I am the Lord who sanctifies you who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord. In chapter 23, quickly, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And so this chapter here is a list of feasts that were instituted by God. We're going to see that seven feasts are going to be uh, described here that they were to celebrate. And we see in these feasts, you see the sacrifices was a way to approach God through the sacrifices, these feasts deal with abiding in Christ, staying close to Christ. Because they commemorated something. They commemorated the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And one of the keys in staying close to the Lord is to remember what He has done for us. So it, it 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 points to, of course, as we go through this feast the faithfulness of God to the children of Israel. But you and I as believers, we're going to see that it points to Jesus Christ, how he was the fulfillment of these feasts. Um, and we also see how it is as believers how we are to remember how the Lord has been good to us, how he has provided for us and, and his faithfulness to us. So we read in verse 3, Six days shall work shall be done, but at the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. And so it, the Sabbath, once again, again, is reiterated. We've seen it reiterated here in the book of Exodus and Leviticus several times. Don't forget, you work six days. You priests, it's a lot of work. And, and, but um, to the children of Israel, they were to work six days. On the seventh day, they were to rest. Actually, the priests did do work on the Sabbath day. They actually did twice the sacrifices, as we have seen. But the children of Israel, this was a covenant between them and God. The Sabbath day was to be observed, and it was to be holy unto the Lord. Now, the Sabbath day was not a feast day in itself, but it was like a feast day, that it was a day to be set apart unto the Lord. For you and for me, Jesus Christ is our rest. And as Paul the Apostle, again, I want to remind you of this, because there are those who will come along. And, and they seem to come along more frequent than, than I would like. They say we have to observe the Sabbath. We as Christians, Paul the Apostle made it very clear that we are not to be, you know, judging others according to new moons, festivals, and also Sabbaths, which are just a, a substance of, of the reality that is Jesus Christ. The principle of the Sabbath is a good principle. For man, it is good for him to take that day of rest and reflect and be renewed in the Lord. But Paul would also say to the Roman believers that one man esteems one day above another. One man esteems every day like you'd be convinced in your own mind. And so we are not under the Sabbath law as believers. And we are one though so that the reality is Jesus Christ. He is our rest, isn't he? He is our rest. He's the reality of that. And so, Lord, I come to you. You are the fulfillment of that. And I rest in you in the finished work of the cross. And if you want to take the principle of the Sabbath and apply in your life, that's great. That's between you and the Lord. But is it good for us to just continue in that rest? You see, the Lord not only wants you to trust in Him, He wants you to rest in Him as you walk in life, as you serve Him. Trusting that the Lord is just going to continue to bless and work and, and continue to just mold you into the image of Himself through the Holy Spirit. And I love just resting in the Lord. Lord, I'm just going to rest in you right now. Lord, I just want to take this time out to just reflect upon you and be blessed by you as I look to you. And in verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day, the first month of twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So we've talked about the Passover, of course. And On the 14th day, then the, uh, as we saw in the book of Exodus, the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. And there as they were in Egypt, the blood was there spread on the doorposts and the lintels and made the form of a cross. And as the angel passed over in that last plague, the death of the firstborn, seeing the blood applied, then the death angel would pass over. And that's where it got the name Passover. And of course, Paul the Apostle to the Corinthian church says that Jesus is our Passover. He was the one, the perfect Lamb of God, that as we apply the blood in our lives, that is, as we come in faith and trust in Him, Knowing that Jesus Christ died for me, and I have forgiveness now. We go from death to life. We're spiritually born again, and so Jesus being our Passover, and um, and and we are the one that um, that looks to Jesus, our Passover Lamb, for salvation, for forgiveness, and for life. It's interesting, real quickly, uh, as you look at the history of the Old Testament. There's no real record of them throughout their history of the Old Testament observing Passover until you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 35, I believe. Josiah, the last king, the last of the good kings of Judah before they would go off into Babylonian captivity. I mean, that amazes me. Josiah, you see, after Manasseh reigned, Manasseh and Judah there, he was a terrible king, reigned for 55 years. He just plunged Judah deep deep into idol worship and occultic practices and burning their children on the arms of Moloch witchcraft all these things and we know that his grandson Josiah when he became king that he was cleaning up the temple got rid of all the idols and everything and as they were cleaning up the temple they found a copy of the book of the law that amazes me there was absolutely no you know old testament books of the law in the land It was like they blew the dust off of it. What's this? The book of the law. And they came and they read it to Josiah. And as he heard those words being read, what we're reading here, you know, the books of the law. In learning about Passover, oh, he tore his clothes. And so he reinstituted Passover to be observed there in Judah. And it says there, in Second Chronicles chapter 35, verse 18, that Passover had not been observed since the day of the judges. In the days of the judges, the last judge was Samuel the prophet. I mean, that amazes me. You mean Passover wasn't observed during the days of the kings? David? Solomon, who had the wisdom of God? You mean that Passover wasn't observed during the times in the good kings of Judah that came along like Jehoshaphat or Asa or Uzziah or Hezekiah? None of those guys? One of the things that you see repeatedly by the prophets that came and gave warning to the house of Israel, and they were plunged into idol worship from day one when Jeroboam became their first king. And as the prophets came on the scene and warned the house of Israel and the house of Judah, one of the things that was reminded of them is that the Lord has brought you out of Egypt and has given you this land. You see, Passover was to commemorate how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt and, and was to bring them into the promised land. But Passover, you brought us out of the world, Egypt. And they forgot how the Lord had given them the promised land. And it was something the Lord reminded them of over and over again. Don't you remember how I brought you out of Egypt? I've given you this land. But you see, they didn't celebrate Passover year after year after year after year after year. And I think they kind of forgot. We saw in Exodus that the Lord emphasized, celebrate this so you can remember how I brought you out of Egypt. You see, you and I as believers, we come to the Lord's table, don't we? remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, how his body was broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. That's why it's important for us to continually remember as we come to the communion table, which we'll do again in the first of the month, as we will, you know, in our own lives, um, as we just reflect on what Jesus Christ has done, it's important for us to do that. We've been brought out of Egypt and into life. But they had forgotten. So we never want to forget what the Lord has done for you and for me. That will keep us close to the Lord. And so, in verse 6, And then on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But it shall be offer as an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread, of course, followed immediately after the Passover from the 15th to the 21st day of the month of Nisan. And we saw that in the book of Exodus as we saw that they were to not make bread with leaven. Leaven, of course, in the scriptures speaks of evil and corruption. It speaks of sin. They were to take it out of their homes. And we talked about in our own lives that we don't want to take in anything that is going to corrupt or defile or uh, evil or any of those things. We don't want those things in our homes, right? So the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, of course, um, Jesus was the one That was perfect without sin, any kind of corruption or any kind of evil that was in him. He was the perfect lamb of God. He was uh, perfect in that he lived a perfect life without sin. And so, verse 9, the feast of first fruits, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephod of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine one fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations. In all your dwellings. So, the feast of first fruits, the day following Passover Sabbath, was the time to give the first fruits of the harvest to God when they came into the land. And so, there would be a part of the country where the early harvest of the barley would come in, and they would give that to God. And it commemorated how He had provided, and more harvest was to come. And again, the principle, as we've discussed, is that the Lord desires for us to give Him the first fruits of our lives. Now Jesus fulfills this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 2. He's the first fruits of the dead. In other words, he's the first fruits of the resurrection and because he resurrected from the grave, Paul writes that we have the hope of the resurrection as well. We're going to be resurrected. So we'll be following more resurrection to come, more harvest to come. But Jesus is the first fruit, but in my life now, I want to give them the first fruits, as we've been discussing. And then the Feast of Weeks in verse 15, or the Feast of Pentecost, you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephod, and shall be one of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. And he shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. And they shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then he shall sacrifice one kid of the goats of a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And he shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So this feast here of weeks of Pentecost, 50 days after the Feast of first fruits, the completion of the wheat harvest. And they were to bring a new grain offering to the Lord. And they would wave the two loaves of, of leavened bread unto the Lord. Now we know that in the book of Acts that the church was born what? On the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? And that's where that the church was born and the harvest continues to be brought in. And the harvest will continue to be brought up until the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom. Jesus would pray, say, pray for laborers for the harvest. For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I hope that we would be one that Lord, I want to be a laborer for you, because the harvest is still going on. And the church has been born and it's been growing for two thousand years. And Lord, I want to be used of you. To bring people into the kingdom you know what my prayer is that the people that we know in our lives and work with in our neighborhoods and even this city that we would make it very difficult for them to go to hell in that that we are telling them of the good news of the gospel that we're praying for them that they're seeing the reality and the love of jesus christ in us they were constant reminders to them of the goodness and the faithfulness and the reality and the truthfulness and the salvation of the lord Pray for your neighborhoods, pray for your schools, pray for the people that are linked to you in your lives, at work, your relatives, whoever it might be. Even this little fellowship, we can impact this community for Jesus Christ in a powerful way because the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful out there, isn't it? Say, Lord, I want to be used for the work of the kingdom and bringing people to the kingdom. And so we see here this this Feast of of pentecost in verse 22 when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap you shall nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger i am the lord your god so again this was a provision for the poor, as we saw there in leviticus chapter 19 they could go in and glean the corners of the field Feast of Trumpets, verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. The Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah is what it's called. It's in the fall of the year, and it was to gather God's people for a holy convocation, for a Sabbath rest. And it's interesting that there are those who like to really get into the feast and look at the feast and study the feast. Jesus, it's a fulfillment that he died on Passover. He's the Passover lamb. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers, the day of Pentecost, that being fulfilled, the church is born. There are many believe that the rapture of the church is going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, the gathering of, of God's people. Could be. But it doesn't have to be. Okay? So, just kind of a little heads up. Because some people look at these feasts and say, it has to be on Rosh Hashanah. It has to be the Feast of Trumpets. And every fall comes the Feast of Trumpet, And they're waiting and it doesn't happen. Well, I guess I'll wait another year. No one knows the day or the hour. It could be. But it doesn't have to be. And that's what I want to remind you of. Because for my life, I want to look each and every day that, Lord, maybe you might come back today. I want to be looking to you. Because Jesus, as we're going to see, as we pick up Matthew chapter 24, is going to say that I'm going to come at a time where you least expect it. Usually when somebody starts throwing out dates, I was listening and actually, I was actually talking to a pastor a while back. that's really into to prophecy. And he was linking Daniel 5 with Joseph's story and naming 2015 and all this stuff. And just... To me, none of it made sense, but anyway, it did to him. And um, and he comes up with dates, and, and it doesn't say it doesn't have to come, but we got to watch and all this. You know what? I come at a time when you're least expected. So usually, when somebody puts a date on something, well, you know what? When we're least expected, you keep watching, because he can come at any time. So I think that a lot of this can be drawn out, and, and um, it could be on a Feast of, of Trumpets, but it could be today it could be tomorrow you keep looking for the Lord the day of atonement verse 26 as we finish quickly the Lord spoke to Moses saying also on the 10th day of the 7th month shall be the day of atonement it shall be a holy convocation for you and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord you shall do no work on the same day for the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God for any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. and <coughs> shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month, the evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. The day of atonement, we talked about in Leviticus chapter 16. When it says you shall afflict your soul, it was a day of fasting, is what the rabbis and what the rabbinical teachers and others have have, uh, interpreted that to mean. So it was a day of fast, a calling of fast, a day of rest. The holiest day of the year is the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement. For the sins of the nation. And then the last one, as we finish up the Feast of Tabernacles, in verse 33, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be a Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord, and on the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides your, all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. In verse 39, also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day of the fruit of beautiful trees, palm, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And it shall be as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. In verse 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. This is also called a feast of booths. And all who are native Israelite shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I have made the children of Israel dwell in booths, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So the Feast of Tabernacles, very quickly, was the most festive of all the feasts. They celebrated for a week. It was like a week long camp out. That would be fun, wouldn't it? They would make these little booths out of the palm branches and boughs, and then they would sleep under there, under these booths. And, um, and they would commemorate how the Lord brought them out of the wilderness into the promised land how the Lord provided manna from heaven bread how he provided water And so the fathers would tell their children how they slept under the stars, how their forefathers slept under the stars in tents out in the wilderness for 40 years, but it was faithful to bring them into the promised land. He provided for them. And so the Feast of Booths, we know that they celebrated Passover during Jesus' day. We know they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jesus' day as well, because in John chapter 7, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus would stand up as they would have the ceremony of the priest, they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would fill up these pots and come back and they would say these psalms and they would pour out the pots on the pavement there the temples and all the people in their little booths and celebrating the feast of of tabernacle and then it would commemorate how God had provided water for them by the rock that Moses spoke to and then Jesus stood up and he said if any of you thirst come to me and drink it was a powerful picture And out of your belly will flow torrents of living water. You see, the Lord desires for us to come to Him and be fulfilled. And maybe tonight, and we're going to end tonight's service by just spending a little bit of time in prayer. Maybe tonight you come and you feel just dry. Maybe you feel parched. Maybe you feel hungrier or whatever it might be. The Lord's invitation is that you come to Him and be fulfilled and satisfied. That you get to take in, as we have talked about, the things of God. And you draw close to Him because He desires for that and abide in Him each and every day by just remembering His faithfulness and His goodness. How He's provided salvation. How we're going to have the hope of the resurrection. That one day we all are going to be gathered together. The harvest is going to be brought in. And that we are blessed people. But today, today for you who are feeling dry, Jesus' invitation is you come to me. Come to me and drink. Because I am your salvation. I am your hope. I am everything that you need to give you true life blessing and happiness and joy. It comes from me. You're not going to find it in the world. You know what we're going to study this Sunday? We're going to study what the world has to offer you. And that is death and destruction and despair. And Jesus is going to say, if those days had not been cut short, man would have destroyed himself. That's the hope of the world. The hope of Jesus is we get to go home and be with him because of what he has done. But it's even more than that. The added blessing is, is that he wants to fulfill your soul now and bless you and strengthen you. And fulfill you as you come to him abiding in him yield it to him and so father we thank you we thank you that we can do that we thank you lord that we can be one that comes to you and just yield to you lord because you desire to fill your people those who hunger and thirst for righteousness father we know that our service to you and It should be a result of our being dedicated to you and just loving you and just growing in that love and knowing you. Remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us and allowing his body to be broken, his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. The work of the cross, demonstrating his love. Lord, realizing that we have the hope, a living hope, as Peter would write, not a dead hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are going to be resurrected one day. Father, that you desire to just do a marvelous work in us and through us. Lord, to bring us satisfaction and true fulfillment in our lives as we come to you. So Father, I just thank you. I thank you that we can come and just yield to you. And, and Lord, that you desire to bless your children. So I pray for anybody that's here tonight. That Lord, that truly it's been a a time of dryness it's been a time of struggle maybe whatever it is that that anyone may be going through that lord they can rest in you because you are our rest and lord you are our hope and you see your children and you desire to provide and to bless for us to give you the first fruits of and it starts with our hearts lord here's my heart lord i give to you fully my love and devotion to You. Oh, Father, that we would be ones that we know that You desire to work in a way that is... Lord, that we don't fully understand at times, but we know that Your Word is true and You'll bring it to pass and You'll be faithful to bring Your promises. But, Lord, that You will bring a fulfillment to our souls and to our hearts that are dry. Maybe we've tried to find it in the things of the world or empty promises or... Maybe what the enemy has tried to deceive us with. But Lord, we know that as we look to you, and as we look to your promises, and as we look to your faithfulness, and as we look to your love, as we are devoted to you, that that satisfaction will come. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And I pray that you bless everyone here that is in this place tonight, that we would leave here rejoicing and, again, just desiring to draw close to you tonight and tomorrow, looking for your return as your children, as you've told us to, as your servants, that we continue to just each and every day draw close to you and to walk with you and to serve you. Father, I pray that um, this weekend that you would just be with the project as we uh, desire to get everything ready for Cambodia and all the medical equipment that Lord we ask that you would just guide us and direct us bless um, the work that's going to be done this weekend and, and Lord may we honor and glorify you in everything that we do and Father I pray that you would fulfill the needs that that of this ministry that may be in a nursery and children's ministry and other areas that you would just stir the hearts of your people raise up and be used of you. And Lord, knowing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will use them. That you will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But we would see it as a privilege and a desire, Lord, to just use the gifts that you've given to us to bless the body of Christ. Lord, to reach out, to to, to serve you, the true and the living God. Lord, to to be a part of of the harvest as we are laborers that go out into the fields because we know the fields are plentiful. Lord, that we can be used to bless and edify and encourage others. So, Father, stir the hearts of your people here, and I pray that we would just uh, continue on learning of you and and through the scriptures and not departing from those things. So, Lord, bless your people as we go our way tonight. Bless our fellowship, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who have been sick. I pray for Sandy as she has had the flu, and I know others have had the flu as well. I pray for healing for them. And, Lord, I just pray that you would just have a hand of, of of protection upon us as we go about our business and our day and where we need to travel to. Lord, that you keep us healthy, that you keep us safe, and, Lord, close to yourself. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.